Welcome to Hemispheres. Welcome, Carito. Uh, would you like to be called Carl? I'm, I'm fine with any of those. Yeah. What is your name? Carol. <laughs> Carol. Um, and with us is uh, Dan, uh, replacing Tori. Welcome, Dan, as a guest host. Just uh, one time. Well, well, we'll see. This could be a recurring thing. I like this rotation. I want to be. I want to be replaced by someone. <laughs> uh, Dan is our biggest fan. Apparently, he listens to uh, the podcast as soon as they come out. So that's why he's. Uh, I'm sure he's excited to be here in the actual studio where we. I'm be. nervous. Yeah, this studio is beautiful. <laughs> well, um, thank you for both for for spending this time. We um, we will try to think about. The types of questions Tori might have, you know, it's hard to replace. It's hard to replace, yeah. Mm. Anyway, uh, as I was telling you, Carol, this is yeah, this kind of a podcast about how people spend their time and why they spend their time the way they do. So, um, a lot of the a lot of the um, times we've, I think most most of the time we've started to ask about people's backgrounds and where they, you know. How they grew up, their family, to try to understand how it shapes it, but we also find maybe that's not the best because it can be very, it can take us down many, many different roads, right? And it, it it's, it's fascinating. It's not, uh, but I'm not sure that that's the best approach. But I'm going to start there anyway because I find it's a good place to like introduce the person. So I know you're Cuban. Born in Cuba, so I think that's a good place to start. Is um, you probably spent the first at least eighteen years of your life in Cuba, I imagine. Twenty-seven years. Twenty-seven years. Okay, yeah. more than. So that's I think that's significant to mm-hmm. say because it's an interesting place in the world. I think for many people, um, if you haven't been to Cuba, maybe you've just heard stories of it. Uh, it's a you know, it's a unique place in the world, in the history of, of it recently. So I wonder how that, uh, being Cuban outside of Cuba, how does that, um, you know, shape how you... I, I don't want to get necessarily into the, like, the identity of it, but like, how does it shape how you are as a now a Cuban-Canadian? Probably... <clears throat> There are not that many Cuban Canadians, hmm. you know. Hopefully, there are more. But. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. If there want to be, there should be more. Um, but yeah, how does that? First of all, I mean, I guess the question is: you made a decision, I guess, to immigrate to Canada, like all many of our friends, uh, many of our partners. Where did that maybe come from originally? When you were young, when you were like getting in, you know, working as a professional there and deciding, okay, this is, I could look for other opportunities or where did that idea come from for you, I guess? Mm -hmm. I guess I was always a very curious kid. So to some extent, like I would read a lot, like tons of books. So this idea of worlds beyond what is immediate to you always attracted me and fascinated me, right? So, and I emphasize books because 
like you know we had television we only had two national channels that was it and you had some like hour every day for like some um, children's television but that was it so I didn't really consume that much movies it was mostly through books that I was really always exposed to these universes that were happening elsewhere that weren't really related to where I was mm -hmm. So I guess that always made me very interested in traveling at some point. Um, so then when I was in university, I still didn't feel like I wanted to leave Cuba to emigrate, right? Like you always think you will have the opportunity to travel, to discover and then coming back to your country. Yeah. But then what happened is that we never made a salary after graduation that would allow me to think about traveling anywhere. Like I was making, when I graduated, I was making 13 US dollars per month. Mm. And I will spend half a dollar just to take a taxi, um, you know, somewhere, like to work if I was late, for example. So, you know, like, I don't know, 13 plus 2, 26 taxis. Oh my God, that's, that was, that, that, that was my salary. That's gotta hurt. I, 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 I'm I, like annoyed when I have to pay like $20, $30 for a taxi here, but it's like, that's like a fraction of your, that's like yeah. a, a day's salary. Yeah, a, a bottle of um, like cooking oil, for example, not olive oil, like any like regular cooking oil would be $1.80 mm -hmm. out of $13 per month. Mm -hmm. So you get it much. How yeah. do we survive? We never relied on that salary. We will always get stuff here and there from like family that will give you uh, something that they bought very cheap and we will share a lot. So that's how we will make it. And I had a great life with that, but it's just I couldn't ever dream of traveling abroad. Mm -hmm. um, so then at some point, I, I really, I was also very frustrated with the, with the way like, you know, that you don't have a lot of political freedoms mm -hmm. and I just and, and then also in my career like I had already grown to a point where I didn't feel I could go anywhere above that like I was the salary I was making was more than what my at the time um, mother-in-law was making as a doctor and I had already like two or three years after graduation right so I was like at the top of my field and still not making I was already making more than 13 dollars yeah, yeah. I was making 250 dollars per month which that's a lot right so even with that salary where am I gonna go which flight ticket <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then it was a lot about too, right? Like that that need to see more opportunities. Um, and I guess I was pre very privileged to be there in Cuba, like many Cubans weren't already my, have never been where I was. Sure. Um, but anyway, to me, that still felt like I wanted more. And um, this thing happens with Cuban very often, right? Like they want to just go and see if they can make it elsewhere. But in order to do that, you need to really sacrifice everything that you have. So you either need to sell an apartment, sell a car, you know, like you burn the bridges, you leave your job because yeah. if it, there was a point in which you couldn't leave the country without asking for authorization. So if you had a job, sometimes you couldn't leave. Mm -hmm. uh, so all that context makes that you kind of need to burn bridges in order to go abroad. And then when you go abroad, you have this pressure of making it. To me, I don't always having having a home it has been very important. So when I came here, I just didn't feel good about just going back to Cuba because I made a huge sacrifice mm -hmm. to do that. Um, and then again, like I left that great job that I had. I passed it to somebody that I really care about. Like I, I contacted people who have worked with me that I really admire so they could take that very good job. 
um, you know, so I made sure I left everything settled so I could make it. And then you come to a place that maybe, you know, it wasn't for you, but you have no choice to then to all kind in, of right? keep going yeah, yeah, forward. And that's very common with many Cubans that are here in Canada and that are in other countries. Like they just sell everything in order to just travel yeah. um, abroad. And you do have this pressure to make it because you have no, no option. Um, so yeah, I guess that really has changed my journey in Canada. Like, I was here to make it, basically. Sort of like a one-way. I mean, I guess it's similar <laughs> to a lot of countries that are, you know, um, economically like that they're making salaries that are, you know, a, a, a very small fraction of what the salary is where they're immigrating to. So they're basically selling everything, doing everything to be able to just go and then start from scratch, right? But I mean, I'm, I'm just a little curious about like growing up in Cuba because of how you're saying like how people had to do all these things to, apart from what the state provides, you had to do other things to make ends meet or, or you know, do other things. Uh, so, or what, you know, how, how you get access to other kinds of channels or information. I know like the internet there was, always kind of spotty I, when I was there it was like very hard to get internet um, initially I know now it's different but just all of those things just make it like a very unique childhood and um, how you how you probably saw your parents doing things your family like yeah I think I guess just to expand on that I yeah. have a similar question especially because as a Latin American as well I maybe can relate to a lot of aspects of your life where I could understand maybe why you spend your time in X or Y way. For example, um, I know that a lot of Latin Americans friends that I have, particularly men, like anime. And I think it's a common theme in Latin America. But uh, as a Cuban, I think that was definitely very different. So I'm also kind of curious about maybe if you could tell us a little bit more of um, what aspects of being Cuban do you think have like shaped you in a way that have maybe not shaped other Latin Americans. Um, and even Canadians. And I also kind of want to maybe comment or make the, the point that I've, I think that um, the rest of Latin America has a very different view of Cuba than, for example, Canada and the US have it. I think that we definitely see, see the country with completely different eyes. Uh, and, and I think that can be challenging for, for somebody that, that moved, maybe like the, the stereotypes, even the positive ones that we may have like you maybe didn't encounter him so i guess not just how like it shaped you being cuban but how moving to canada as a cuban person um like has shaped the way you value your time mm -hmm. i guess something that something that i that really um struck me mm -hmm when I moved here is that because the internet was developed slower in Cuba, and like you mentioned, access was very restricted and all that. Like I, I wasn't so used to being online all the time, for example, and, and people being able to reach me anytime. And mm -hmm. so I have felt super overwhelmed with, um, with just, you know, the, 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 the ubiquitousness of whatever, like of, of technology and of people being able to reach to me every time mm -hmm. through WhatsApp or messages or having social media on my phone. Like I, 
for the first three years here, and I think you know that, I never, I didn't have data on my phone. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. The, real, the, the reason was economic. Mostly, I just wanted the cheapest mm-hmm. cell phone plan, but also I didn't feel like I needed to have data on my phone. Like, I wasn't used to that in Cuba. As long as I could connect to a Wi-Fi when I got to university, as long as the people who had my number could send me a text message if they needed me or call me, that seemed fine to me. I didn't need to consume um, like traditional media on the internet. For example, I would listen to the radio a lot. And that actually helped me to develop a lot of my English and learn to a lot about the Canadian culture too, like listen to the different radio stations and just surprised why I know about yeah. like Great Big C yeah. and many Canadian, great Canadian bands because I discovered them through the radio right. um, because they need to put 30% of content that is Canadian for the Canadian content regulation, so the CRTC regulation. So all of that I think was really unique to me as a Cuban. And then when I came here, that really shaped uh, how I used my time, um, especially in relation to technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like growing up, you feel like you, you, you know, you're, I guess, restricted to the access you have to things versus growing up. I mean, that's true in, I guess, most countries in the world. Uh, the reality is maybe people don't have the ubiquitous access to the consumption that we, the level of consumption that we're used to here in North America. But then I guess it's like a specific, it's very specific what kind of access you have as growing up in Cuba and then coming here. But also your interest was communication. So you mentioned like the CBC radio, mm-hmm. like you were in communications and yeah. that's where you're working. And I so I listen to a lot of news. So I really, I really learned a lot about Canada and what was happening. Like right. I realized that I, I had a better idea of what was happening than many new immigrants like me. Right. right. Just because I was listening to the radio. What about um, what I would call more positive aspects of those maybe stereotypes? And for example, I, I, um, one thing that I always remember about my, my trip to Cuba is the graffitis. That, mm-hmm. um, in comparison to most places I've been in Latin America and I've seen graffitis, it was really um, impressive in some way to, to see that the lack of um, mistakes in spelling or like, like proper <laughs> grammar even used there. And, and that's what I, I'm trying to, to get as well, that for at least for many countries in Latin America, Cuba is, is, is seen as a, a place where like a lot of people have education that's at least the level of, of education uh, with maybe all the challenges that, that there, there, can, there can be are higher than, than in many places in, in, in Latin, America, Latin America. I think that also uh, you're known for, for example, like competing so highly in like sports, having like that, those amazing doctors, obviously in music, uh, being such part of the, 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 the culture of, of, of the place. And like, uh, I think also also the aspects that socialism has, has brought, um, even the, the way maybe the Cuban society uh, interacts, I think it's very different. Like I feel that even those limitations uh, have probably brought some po- very positive aspects in, no, no, obviously not all of them, but um, that have shaped, I think, who, who you are. So I was wondering if you could maybe like tell us a little bit about, mm-hmm. about that. Like, Well, just to say that I don't think that access, being so accessible online is a good thing. So I actually appreciate how I grew up and the mm-hmm. access that we had. I don't think internet access should have been restricted in Cuba the way it was. Um, but just in general, like, you know, just 
the way it happened for me, it wasn't negative in a way. Like I think it helps me focus more. Um, and like, like I told you, like I really enjoyed not having data. Yeah. I didn't want to be so available. I wanted mm-hmm. to have more time to focus on me and the things that I want to do versus like a lot of the suffering with social media for people is comparing to each to other people, mm-hmm. or, you know, like losing um, what you're doing for seeing what other people are doing or, you know, like always being in that. Some people love it, that's fine, but it's not my thing. So I never meant it as a bad thing. Uh, so yes, but about other things in Cuba, I don't know, that kind of shape the way I spend my time here. Um, I like to dance a lot, so I go dancing. Uh, like Dan was saying, like music is a big part of how we grow up there. I learned to dance since I was like eight or nine. I remember telling my younger cousin, hey, you need to teach me how to dance salsa because this is a thing in the kids' parties I was going to, right? So the few people cool. that knew how to dance salsa, yeah, they were still in the party and I was like, I need to be, I'm on the cool kids. And then I joined a dance group when I was 11. Oh. And we will dance merengue and salsa and many things and we will do presentations. We will work for, to see if we could compete. Oh, really? Uh, so yeah. Okay. Um, Where would you compete? We, I think we, we did compete in like, um, there is, there are these, um, rec- no, it's, it's cultural centers. It's called Casa de la Cultura uh-huh. in every municipality in Cuba. And at that level there are like, I also took, um, ceramic, like pottery classes there. I took dance classes. So, you know, and then you will compete with other, um, cultural centers from other municipalities. So. We will do it there, and there was also like some um, TV shows that will feature groups of kids dancing. So we will also go to audition hmm. for those TV shows. We never got in, oh. but we <laughs> did our best, and it was fun. You know, we will have classes in the morning, and then in the afternoon, like two or three times per week, we will go to the dance um, class, which was like I don't know seven blocks from school too so it involved you know a trip outside of school with the people that you like the cool kids right like the people who dance yeah Um, so that was fun I liked one of the kids there so yeah it was a great time (laughs) so again like I grew up with dance really close to what we were doing yeah secondary school like high school dancing will get even more and more central to the way we will spend time like every party you dance and I was in boarding school so we want we will have one night per week that was called the recreación so the time to just go wild and dance 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 they will put a lot of music salsa reggaeton whatever even rock sometimes and then everything we will do was dancing for a few hours that night so yeah so does that does that idea like of, of being so social of of partying but just being social being out from a young age and seeing like people do it all all throughout all different ages there and uh, is that something that still carries with you because you know it's very different here and it's very difficult to be you have to really you know you almost have to struggle to to be outside to be able to be outside (laughs) what the weather but also just like how everyone is kind of in their own sorts of social bubbles. And so that, like, it's almost like that 
is already like there's some social integration happening that is there that allows people to that, that just having the plazas in, in Havana or like in the cities in Cuba is just social spaces where people go dance play music talk to each other like that's something the tables outside the houses how yeah. you just put those tables and you start chatting with neighbors playing games yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is that something that stays with you you think or is that something that's yeah, very well, hard or the place really I, determines I, w- I would really hope that I will body way more but <laughs> I did find this group of Latino friends of which you are part um, and I know we, we don't hang out as much as we used to a few years ago. I think the pandemic also like kind of slowed down everything. But sure. um, that was that was a game changer for me. Before meeting these guys, I still felt like I had a group of Latino friends, but they wouldn't go dancing every weekend. Mm. Um, and I will miss it so much. Like I will go dancing and I will almost start crying sometimes of how much my body will miss moving in that way and to that music, right? I think I told Andy, I think I told our friend uh, <laughs> that every time I will hear the La Gozadera for the first ta- times after it went out, that I will feel like I wanted to cry. Hmm. And I will cry at Zumba classes. They will play it at Zumba classes and I will just cry because I, I was missing so much that dancing. Um, so then I met this group of Latinos and then we started dancing every weekend and that really made a huge impact in my life my mental health um so yeah but but i don't think that's common here Mm -hmm. and we also don't have you know as many other groups doing the same like in cuba Mm -hmm. the equivalent will be you have a group of friends with with whom you like to do that but there are many more groups and you can just move from group to group and then sometimes group groups merge um that being said, that's when you're younger. People of my age in Cuba now, they usually like have families, they don't party, okay. they don't go, they don't have the opportunity to go dancing as much as we do here. Okay. So I think I it was kind of the right time for me to come here and find a group that really liked to do that here. <laughs> I don't think I would have had a group in Cuba to go. Oh, so, you're saying, so you're saying as people have families that, that, that ask, but isn't that aspect still with like that social um, kind of um, there's a there's a like affinity to being social with even just your f- the families I guess are just like all Latin American families mm-hmm. or families outside of here are like generally bigger and more cohesive and they're not necessarily always going out dancing but there's just more events that there are more social events or gatherings mm. or is that or is that Something that also I, I changes their I think people will want to do that, but they just don't have as much time. Yeah. Or right now, like the economic situation is really harsh there, so yeah, that yeah. would be that would that would probably Fair have enough. an impact too. Um, so yeah, but I agree that that desire of socializing uh, through dancing and getting together um, in a more informal way, that desire is there. I mean, people at my age in Cuba, it just you, it, it doesn't happen as often as we would do it when we were younger. Mm-hmm. What about books? You mentioned reading a lot as a, as a young person. I don't read as much as I used to at all, but, but I try to. <laughs> and, and what kind of books were you mostly most interested in? Mm-hmm. Uh, authors or 
topics can you relate? Mm -hmm. There was an important shift that happened when I moved here. Well, it wasn't when I moved here. It was a few years ago, but as a result of my experiences here, where I have become like, I don't know, more aware of, of gender issues, of um, race issues, uh, you know, all, all the all the intersecting um, factors or, or and also like the systems that oppress us, like colonialism and all that, that really made me change um, the kind of books that I was reading, especially my selection of authors. And I, I wasn't aware of that when I was growing up in Cuba. Like I would read mostly classics, mm. um, often written by men. And I don't know, it was great literature, but I, I recognize that something that has happened to me recently here is choosing to read women of colors. And, and it's also very current literature, which is not what I used to read. What I used to read was always these stories written, I don't know, 20 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, or even more, right? Like Dostoyevsky, like beginning mm -hmm. of 19th century and all that. So I will, I, I now read a lot of current literature written by women of color, and I can relate a lot to their life experiences. So it's a lot about immigration. It's a lot about like the racial struggles that we are having in our societies and the gender struggles as well. Um, in narrative way, like sometimes it's just fiction, but sometimes it's essays. Amazing, amazing literature that I have been discovering. And I do think that I wasn't exposed to that when I was in Cuba, not because of Cuba. It's just the way um, I like you grow up in a, in a way that everything feels uh, like a given to you. Like you're so embedded in, in, in the way you grow up that you don't see the, the mechanics of it. So, right, after immigrating, you become aware of so many things. And actually, like, I recognize a lot of the privileges that I had in Cuba. Mm -hmm. And also here, then you recognize, okay, I have some privilege and I don't have others that I used to have. So what is happening? Oh, yeah, this is a new identity. You're Latina here. Mm -hmm. um, so all those things made me become very curious about these new topics. And I, yeah. I, have, I have been so happy that I, I found a lot of books. Um, of written by women of color that speak to these experiences and many others that are new to me, which I also love, so I can learn. Yeah, because that's what I wanted to ask you is this idea of your, um, since I've known you, very strong kind of activist uh, side of you, of particularly for feminism um, and issues related to just social activism of like uh, of, of, of minority groups here and in the world that um, are generally I guess disenfranchised oppressed uh, whatever you want to call it but it did that come yeah that's what I wanted to understand is like did that come from you were use it because now you mentioned you you read Dostoevsky like you read literature when you were growing up and then when you came here you started to read this literature or books about women of color from uh, authors of women of color more contemporary things was that because of where you how you felt your place here that's that's the change and that's, mm -hmm. yeah and then you began to spend because we began to spend your time with with people and with groups that were related to that right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah also that right that i 
I, I will need to think about my life in Cuba. But again, like even even race, like I didn't grow up having a lot of discussions about race, even though there is racism in Cuba. But there was this idea that, you know, the political process uh, and economic process of the revolution kind of erode, like racial disparities, like we were all equal. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. Right. But I never we never questioned that. Um, so, yes, sir, like coming here you know, relating to more immigrants. Uh, but I think I was exposed to that too in Cuba. I just wasn't aware um, of those things, uh, how they affect us, how they, they they affected maybe friends, black friends that I had, that they were struggling way more mm-hmm. and had to work harder to graduate from the same degree. And I just didn't know that, right? Like I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't see that the way I, I kind of see it more now. That must have been such an interesting um, challenge for you and I guess a change definitely on how you perceive yourself because like I, I would tell you I, I mean if, if you were um, if we're just discussing Latin American people I would think you you pass as white you could look like like a white person but I when I assume that when you arrived to Canada you, you were immediately put this label of Latina you're a minority no matter what um, so how did you kind of um handle that how do you how that impacted you well I didn't actually know like there was a moment in which I wasn't sure if I could you know not if I could see myself as a Latina which I always had but you know like how do you see that okay in, in Cuba I will be white um, and what's ha- what happens here like I know I'm not fully white because they see me as white and as soon as I talk they are like okay where do you come from <laughs> and you know working in communications like I did feel discriminated a lot of times that they will just you know hear an accent or something um, from me like they will think I wouldn't do my work well as a mm-hmm. communicator in a mostly white environment yeah. uh, so then I would be like okay I'm definitely not being treated as white here and it was actually one of her friends, Natalia. She said to me, that's called white passing Latina. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a, a kind of thing that happens. <laughs> and it's uh, an intersecting uh, identity too. So um, yeah, that, that gave me so much understanding and it, it was hard. And we just talk a lot about that with our friends. We have this group of Latina uh, friends. I think we do it too with you guys. So sometimes when we get together in parties, we don't talk about these things so much. We <laughs> should have more like our brunches. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. but especially with the girls, like we do make sense of all of this and, and it really changes um, how I feel about the things. So you just feel very, like everything's happening to you and you just don't don't understand what's going on. Yeah, that's very important. That's uh, Yeah, that's great that you continue to do that. I think that's very valuable to not feel isolated otherwise that these things are happening to everyone mm-hmm. all over and everyone feels yeah very alone when it's like or very targeted when it happens i want to i want to like talk about so Nate, you you mentioned you know having having no data like this i'm not liking not having data but like okay you're you've now spent enough years here versus Cuba to be maybe accustomed to a certain let's say um, you know stand like um, what do you call it? like consumption that's I don't know like level of uh, 
comfort that we all are privileged to access, you know, given our socioeconomic status here versus most people in the world. So that's like, that's been like a topic in many of the podcasts is like when we, the reason we can talk about a lot of like, we have the privilege to talk about how we spend that our, we can choose how we spend our time basically. It's not out of necessity that we spend our time this way. So now that you can choose how to spend your time um, here, how, how has that changed for you? Do you, do you see it or do you reflect on how that's changed from how, when you initially moved out of Cuba and and now uh, after having settled here for many years and is that a, is that just something that like gradually changes or do you think about it like are you conscious about okay now I'm now I'm using way too much data no <laughs> no I don't know. but uh, not 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 specific to that not specific to like consumption of data but just in general of what you value mm-hmm. well there is something that I did have in Cuba I think that was less worries so I did spend less time worrying also the the, the pressure of working in order to pay for a roof that was new to me when I moved to Canada because right. in Cuba even when sometimes you live with three generations in an apartment or a house Many people own it. It's not everybody. There are a lot of people in Cuba that are migrants within the country and are renting, especially in Havana. And they live the same stresses that we live here when you're renting. Like they can kick you out at any time, or at least you need to be able to work to pay for the roof. That kind of pressure I never had in Cuba. That means I will actually worry less about how I was performing at work. And and I wouldn't attach my value to the fact that I had a job and a well-paying job or not, like I knew I had value as a person regardless of where I was working and whether I had a job or not versus here, like I do feel a lot of my um, worries but also my identity and the sense that I'm, I'm, I'm doing well or at least I'm keeping myself safe is attached to the fact that I have a job and what am I doing and am I enjoying it and that was new to me when I moved to Canada. And the context of Vancouver too is very particular. I haven't lived in other cities, but I have visited other cities and I know that we, we do struggle a bit more here with the, the cost of housing. Um, I don't know, especially when I talk to people who live in the States um, that I grew up with, that now they now live in the States. Although the ones that live in Miami, they, they also like pay high rents. But if you don't live in one of the big cities, okay. um, I don't know, they have been able, most of my, the people I started with to buy already a house. And that's not something, yeah, that's something I'm hoping I can do here at some point. It's not a house, maybe a, an apartment, but I don't see it as um, close in the future. Yeah. And that has, I don't know, that, that thing that, that I can choose what I do. I feel like I was choosing work, how I spend my time. I never felt that I really had to work. I was working because <laughs> I liked it. I don't know. It was we were doing it. Everybody was doing it. I come from a family that everybody has also worked. Like you know, my mom she wasn't she wasn't a, um, a housewife or anything. So she would work. My dad would work. My grandparents. Um, so I would do it because of that and because I was just very excited to contribute and and, and I wanted to be. I, I was a journalist. I wanted to make a change. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so that's why I did it. But here I do feel like sometimes I've been like I need to 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 work and 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 in order to pay my rent. Uh, and that's you know very common. I don't think I'm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think about poor Carol, but that's not something that used to worry me before. Yes. If I can say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. The necessity that uh, of having to work is now. That's like the that's like the main worry. Like the. You you, you had. Limit so it was it was you were making thirteen U.S. dollars a month, but you know it it was. For the it, same reason, you could maybe not make it, exactly. and still you will. Exactly. It's, it's not like a, it's like a huge difference, <laughs> but no. yeah. Now the necessity is like you you'd be homeless here if mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. if you had that or nothing like that. But what about you were mentioning? Sorry, like leisure earlier about art, dancing. So that how do you find the balance of going back to the the things that you actually apart from the necessities the things that you want to do mm-hmm. how do you balance that here given all of the economic pressures of time and things and then you know everyone is you know is tired after working every day and so it's also this like everything is compounded and uh, connected to what you were just saying about having to keep up with this this rat race here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how do you then uh yeah we have we have and i say we because we say like we as humanity or society but really it's like this decision wasn't on my um on my field of action at all and neither of you like the system that was built is not really um working for many of us and uh in that sense of you know like having a more balanced life where you can incorporate more leisure like I don't think that's um, I don't even think it's developing in that direction like it's just becoming uh, with a neoliberal turn turn to right like it's just becoming way more and more um, like brutal for for people mm-hmm. um, you, you, you feel more like this need of accessing to money and you know the way in which you can do it you don't even have access to land or anything everything has been uh, privatized you just need to sell your labor force. Um, if you're able to get a job, like if you haven't fallen into a situation of homelessness or addictions where you, you know, that like you don't even, you cannot even maybe get a job to get yourself out of there. Like people say it because that, yeah. like, so, so if you haven't fallen there, you're still very like pretty much just in need of getting money to, to just make your life to work and then that's really not helping you to think about what are the things that you really would enjoy doing too uh, for leisure and I don't mean that I don't have leisure time I try to have a lot as as much as I can but I recognize the struggles uh, within me like I do a lot of planning and because of that that I'm worried all the time about how am I gonna (laughs) you know make it (laughs) I I try to make plans of how am I gonna balance that um having time for that I can really feel joy again sometimes I'm just so tired that I just don't have that joy um, it may be too that we're growing up and we have way more and more responsibilities so I have I also spend a lot of time thinking how can I still fulfill all my responsibilities 
while making that space to feel joy. Mm. Um, yeah, in a way that also if you plan joy too much, then it doesn't happen, right? Because it's not that way. Like you need to leave that space sure. for just spontaneous and I call it Between like seven time, for <laughs> time for pendejar. Like I yeah. need to have, I'm trying to create, and this is kind of new, last two weeks, let's see if it sticks. One day where I don't have anything, to, no responsibilities and no plans, preset, right? It's a day that is, I just wake up and try to, yeah, and try to live by intuition. And, you know, somebody calls you, let's meet. And you're like, do I want to or not? And you make a decision at the moment. Because even planning too much in advance, like, takes away, like, puts an extra pressure in doing stuff. And, and, and then takes away that thing that I want to reconnect with, which is just having more joy. and Yeah. Actually, this is, I think, a good time to ask you a question um, that maybe can tell me a, bit, a little bit more about what you would like to do um, instead of what you have to do, um, which is, let's say that you either win the lottery or you are 60 and you have had a successful uh, career and you have been lucky enough to get a house and maybe have some retirement money. So you can you can do whatever you want. Let's say within limits for sure, nothing crazy. But if you are in that situation, or hoping that you get to that situation, what would you like to do with your time? What, how do you see like most of your days? Like, are there activities or like is there this grand plan that you have uh, thought about and you would like to make it happen? Is there? Mm -hmm. It's funny that you mentioned lottery because that's one of the things that we started to consider and we started buying lottery tickets like, you know, there's a way of maybe out of this uh, rat <laughs> wheel that <laughs> if we win the lottery, uh, and that's so funny that our mind went to that place of thinking, okay, you know, like we know that working hard is not going to make it, you're not going to buy a condo anytime soon, so let's just see if luck is the way. Mm -hmm. It streaming. hasn't been. It hasn't yeah. been the way. So we're, <laughs> we're still in plan A. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's part of the rat mind, right? Like I, that, that's why I'm telling you that I'm trying to find make space just so I can reconnect with what makes me joyful, because you're in the rat mind and you're like, okay, what would I do without my responsibilities? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be out of out of work here. Like it just send me to my grave. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you will feel a lot of, like, I do worry, like, I'm not going to feel any purpose if I don't have yeah. a job again, like, how much mm -hmm. we attach our identities to our um, salary yeah. jobs, where we invent jobs for ourselves that contribute to society if we, I'm, I'm maybe not rely on a salary or having, if, if we were lucky to have the money, of course, uh, through the lottery ticket. Uh, I don't, I still feel I would like to have a very social um, activity. I will, as a first step, maybe I don't have an idea of what I will start on my own, but I will definitely join like groups that contribute somehow to like alleviate a little bit of this weight in, you know, the underserved groups, racialized groups, women, um, and so on. Like I do feel that's something I will do and maybe you know like i know to the struggles of those groups and maybe you're a group that you don't really like so maybe eventually i will have my own initiative but i do see myself spending some time some considerable time in making um you know a contribution that helps somehow people 
I always remember in my journalism interview, like, why do you want to study journalism? Um, I want to help people. I'm curious about people and I want to help them. They ask me, why don't you go to psychology? And it's like, no, I want, you know, I don't think maybe publishing about issues is better. Like I always believed in systemic change. Yeah. Mm, uh, it's very important that the personal change too. like psychology, uh, psycho- psychologists and counselors are amazing, right? But I was more in the direction of systemic change. So I will think that my social contributions will always also kind of go there. Um, and apart from that, definitely, I don't know, some, some, a lot of quality times with like family and friends. I love animals too. I will definitely like to spend more time in nature and have like animals that I can take care of. Uh, we have been thinking about having kids and that's one of the things that is not really entering, uh, you know, the rat wheel because it's like, we're already a lot of rats here and the wheel is very slow <laughs> <laughs> and very small. I like, this, very I like small. this metaphor. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, if we're struggling to decide, like, you know, with, with keeping up with our responsibilities and we're going to add one more. Um, but ideally, if I had more time, I would probably also like, I don't know, have a family adopted. Also, I have to be biological kids, but um, yeah, a lot of social social uh, interactions, right? Um, and and doing stuff that socially, I don't know, are meaningful, I guess. I think our sponsors are getting nervous about breaking down the system. Uh, <laughs> we just want to make sure we do want to sell goods here on this. <laughs> No, but recycle responsible the <laughs> goods. <laughs> so, if you if you could design your as Dan was asking, like if you could idealize like your, uh, you know, the system is is not perfect. Everything is. Uh, you don't need to work to pay for housing. It's all taken care of. You need to careful there if you're sounding like a communist. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like let's let's suppose because it's interesting. I think you're the you're you're identifying something that's it's it's uh, not not on the individual level that you're saying like no matter what we do where we are like the system that we're in is part of is is the issue like we're gonna be. We're, we're operating within a, a system that kind of forces us to have to work. So it kind of determines how we spend our time in a way. We don't have really much choice unless we want to, you know, be struggling all the time. We have to we have to play this game, right? This rat race or whatever. But let's say that that do you want? So I guess the question becomes: Do you want to spend your time trying to change the system? Or do you want to try to spend your time, what we all kind of do most of the, most of the time, is live within the system and try to find ways to, you know, do something that's that gives us meaning and value outside of that. I do think I live that way, anyways. Yeah. Like even if I want to change things, I don't. I don't think I do enough. Um, to join those groups, like I mentioned, or to just organize mm-hmm. with other people to kind of make a change. Um, I I do do some things, I guess, uh, but I do live more in the other way, even though 
I wish I wouldn't, but <laughs> uh, which again, I'm not, I'm not judging myself for that. I think it's mm-hmm. just the way it happens. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I do. I do spend a lot of time too with like myself in like writing down my thoughts and you know making sense of what we're living. And that's that's a time that I wouldn't want to um, give up even if I'm doing a lot of social work as well, right? So... Uh, the individual I, time. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I don't know, it's something that is very important to me. It helps me regulate um, my emotions. I have a lot of emotions, so... I need to sit down and see what's going on. <laughs> what... Um, let's say that the systemic issues are... are um, well, let's... let's let, me, let me rephrase this. What do you think people should be doing with their time or should not be doing with their time? Like, what would you remove maybe from what you consider that most people do that you disagree with or, or an activity that you think might be negative? Um, and, and the other way around as well, what would you like people to do with their time? And I'm, I'm sure that you probably will mention uh, that one of those things will be try to fight this, this system, try to maybe at least alleviate some of the, the issues that the system creates for other people. So I, I, I think that will be obviously part of your answer. But other than that, is there something that maybe you think of a more personal level you would like to see in people's day-to-day life? Are there some parts of people's life that you see like could be better, could be different, that you personally maybe, if not have a problem with, can see other ways of their other ways of living their lives that could benefit them or benefit society yeah i'm very i'm very careful about judging about saying things about what other people should be doing recognizing that there are a lot of uh things that we're just being culturally accustomed to do so like not putting the blame on the individual, but again, I always think about, um, you know, structures and systems that have been inherited to us. And we, we are socialized in certain ways. So then people end up doing the things that they're doing. And I don't want to put it on the individuals, but if we were to talk about those structures and, you know, socialization, like definitely doing things that are harming other people, like just stop doing that. Get, you know, get like check your biases, check your biases. Check your gender biases, check your race biases. And you know, like that's gonna already start making a change in the way we interact with others. In you know, if, if you're in a power position with an employee, if you check your biases, you're probably gonna make their life easier if it's a racialized employee, if it's a woman, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that that can be one thing. <laughs> if we close that thing. Just being <laughs> just being more empathetic or And of course, like you know, growing your empathy and compassion, like I think that can go a long way acknowledging that the system the neoliberal system like that just forces you to be individual and you know focus on you you need to make it because there is no social network anymore nobody's going to be holding you when you fall so this is uh you against the world and that doesn't help Mm. that that again just to say it's not that they have decided to not be compassionate or empathetic some people may have but i think social media implicitly has already been added to this list um, <laughs> <laughs> with the data I guess uh, comments <laughs> um, right. well I do think that there are very positive uses of social media that a lot of people it is doing and also to me like to connect with 
um, a lot of artists that are again women of color or um, you know like racialized group people who, who you wouldn't see in traditional media you're getting mm -hmm. to discover them through social media and that's amazing I just feel for me spending a lot of time on social media it's it's not um, it's not healthy mm -hmm. but I do I, I fully support like I'm not anti how can I be I'm a communicator and a journalist <laughs> like I'm not against that at all I just I, I I decided to spend less time but I don't think people should be spending less time on social media it's it's a great way to communicate and you know it's it's uh, we also need to learn about those technologies that are also new like what are they doing to our brains and all that like some people it's great and others not so much uh, to me I feel like it's, it kind of distracts me like I lose focus on my day every time I go into social media it's like my brain gets so scattered yeah um, so then I will be more selective of when I'm checking it and then I decided I don't have any social media apps for now on my phone but I, I may be back I just I'm not there right now however I used to love Instagram just to be able to see I don't know Lyso, like some great musicians and, and you know pop artists that I like I just like to see what they're doing yeah <laughs> Um, so yeah. So yeah, I, I um, your your background in communications, your inter like your profession in communications, gives you kind of a unique perspective on, on all of this, of what, what we could do, with our time. We could learn from each other by, different means of communicating in the media sphere that we are in now, where everyone is sort of in their own. They're communicating, but very also in bubbles, right? Uh, Self-made bubbles or algorithm-made bubbles. So, how do we do you do you kind of what what is your interest in that in in how we could use communication tools, social media tools, or just social ways of communicating that can bridge the divide or help us fight against the system you know what, what are things that can bring us together rather than hmm. polarize us more that that, that seem to do mm -hmm. these communication systems well I don't I don't have the solution but yeah, of course. I, I certainly think that understanding how they work like again the fact that mm -hmm. I say yeah it's great like you don't need to go on social media however you can understand how it works you need to know what ownership does to these platforms like you know the, how much decision they have over the content that you look at and the people to your point like this bubbles built by the algorithm and all that so if you understand it then you know how it's operating what i think too that they are doing like to me i feel if you're not if you're not there then you're missing out on a lot of opportunities and things so it's it's why i don't think you just just remove yourself and you can be there but you can be there knowing and then you can start and try to maybe develop tools that a little bit you know empower you and your groups to do what you want to do anyways like using that those as, as channels however you need to always know that you're into somebody else's uh, field right like right. it's not it's not owned by you or controlled by you and we have a lot of illusion of control in right. social media um, that's a good point right none of these these are these are external agents and we're just trying to use them to create our own social groups but really we're not in charge of the, how they're operating mm -hmm. right yeah and then again the, solu the solution is not like leaving it's just knowing more and 
if you want like that's fine too if you want to if, if you have also like the, the technical skills to develop something like that and create a net like you know a social media app where you message your friends well yeah that would be great but again like that knowledge is, is power and just if you have it yeah you need to have received an education to do that and so you're not someone who spends their time much on 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 apps on social media or specifically I have like, the CVC app. <laughs> oh, so yeah, so you still <laughs> I do. I do spend time in my newspaper. That is yeah. so, but I'm saying you're still like yeah, looking I listen at listen to that the radio, the public radio. CVC app for the mm-hmm. radio. Yeah, and for your main that's your main I have a lot of, of work news. work apps. Like again, I feel like beyond social media like our phones like we our life is there so and it's just it's gonna. It, it, I hate my phone some days. Like I'm just like you know, I'm not gonna watch that. I'm not gonna look at it. It's just, you know, it, it has everything there and it tells me what to do. Like I get my phone, I go there with an idea of what I want to do, and then it tells me what I should do. Or you have a new message from this person, and then you have a new email, and you forget that you just wanted to put the timer to go. I don't know. Every 25 minutes, stop. Step out of your workstation for health like I forget I get into 10,000 things and then I yeah. just never go back to what I wanted to do I agree it's that so. for me it's been like a time sink like it's like it just takes like I, I didn't want yeah I didn't want uh, to spend this much time on my phone but suddenly it's just like one thing leads to another and it's almost like it it's a weird power that it has over control of, of your time that it takes over mm-hmm. because of all the things but I mean you have the when you realize you have, you can just turn off the notifications. You can put it away. All these things, but once you're in there, it says there's so much. <laughs> yeah, and it's an extra step, right? Like it comes mm-hmm. predetermined. Like by default, you get everything, and it actually takes me time to also okay. Let me just go and disable. I don't want to yeah. see the yeah. actual messages. I just want to see I have a notification. Maybe that takes me time, so I never do it. Yeah. And then I keep seeing, oh, my mom already texted me. I need to respond, and this. I think that it's not important, but it makes you feel that it's urgent. Mm-hmm. Your phone has a great capacity to make you feel everything is urgent. So That's it true. takes you away of yeah. whatever you're point. doing. How do you do it, Dan? You, you're off so you're not on any social media. You've never been really, right? And how do you uh, manage? Well, I was on Facebook back in the day when, <laughs> when it just started. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, I was maybe in high school and only for a few years and immediately stopped it. I had to reopen my account, I think, a few years after, mostly for work. Like, I needed to do it for work, actually. Like, they asked me to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as soon as I left that, that job, I, I stopped it. Um, and yeah, I think I, I, I agree with a lot of what Carol was saying. And it resonates a lot as well, the, the aspects of control that you were talking about. Um, but yeah, for me, it's it's a I think it's, it's most of what the, the reasons why you gave me, uh, plus just the time i think that's well not only the time also i feel there is uh, maybe a a component that is more judgmental uh, i don't like the idea of, for example having to look at like this curated selection of of uh, um, moments of people's life that is not really it's not real it's, it's not what they do on their day to day it's like what they want you to see i i really dislike that um and i felt that I was just getting angry about seeing it, so I decided to, to cut it. I also think that's not always, it can definitely, it has impacted maybe some of the um, the way I communicate with all friends. It has limited a little bit, but I think that overall, it's um, 
it's not so bad. I think I don't have like so many issues. Maybe talking with friends. I still have other applica- other apps that allow me to like just chat even I have WhatsApp or or, or Signal. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I do I do agree with a lot of what you were saying about social media, and I think my decision for being outside it is, is very close to the reasons you you were giving. But is there something you guys would, if you had the control and could could be um, could design something, could make something for communication, social media that would bring us would bring you joy that you want to use to communicate to get information from to contact with people not just like a in individual or a group like whatsapp these kinds of things but that already exist but like something that you could not someone else is curating not an algorithm that you could kind of control is, is there something that you would i don't know given the technology that we have you would want to use or is it just all of it would be the same kind of waste of time for you i'm being bothered by the screen yeah. Okay. So I'm struggling with thinking about it to be, um, you know, digital in a way that, or accessing through it through the screens that we have. Like just the screen is already something that affects me mm-hmm. physically. What if you were just like have input? A chip. Have a chip. It's input. <laughs> it's just in your brain. Or like in Dragon that- Ball, one of those. Like- <laughs> glasses like yeah, glasses. Just yeah. I mean I, the technology is there it's coming right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, at some point it'll be immersive and it'll be not a screen mm-hmm. but some external device is that going to be different for like, you people like to have everything in one device maybe something that would work for me is like if I just had a device that is for you know that that you're saying is some sort of news feed or something yeah. but I just go there to get news about my friends or something like that right but I'm not liking that everything is on my phone on mm-hmm. one device because then again like I, I maybe I just want to see stuff about my friends but I'm also getting emails from work and everything and it's I don't know my phone already has so many things that I've gotten used to go through everything yeah. and I'm not liking that but I do like for example my Kindle right. and doing Simple. here like maybe getting some sponsors now yeah. <laughs> Kindle a great way to uh, speaking of corporations yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the thing is that I'm not I'm not anti technology at all. It's just some technology right. sort of working better for me than others. Right. And and then with the Kindle, I just go there to read. And I have mm-hmm. I have a positive feeling when I see the Kindle. I associate it to these great stories that I'm reading about women colors. Mm-hmm. Um, colors. <laughs> we are all from many colors. Uh, and I'm not getting that feeling sometimes from my phone. I get the feeling that I need it, but then again, it's just it's this it's this black hole. Yeah. That is yeah, just definitely that I sinks agree. me, and it's it's wrong because I do have many things there that I appreciate. Like I don't know, listening to the CDC. Like I wish I had a radio again, just a radio, and I just put the radio. Yeah, I mean, these are yeah, these are just like uh, things that we think that have simplified our lives, but really they've just taken. They just take more from us, right? <laughs> In a way, right? They just. Well, maybe I'm just old school. But no, it's, I... <laughs> yeah, it does sound like a like a very old generation kind of complained about technology, but but I think it's a valid criticism of what it can do to 
our psychology, how, how we spend time, and all these things that will affect us mentally, right? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, thanks again for guest hosting, Dan. <laughs> Carol, thanks for joining us. Very kind of you to spend your valuable time with us. And uh, we'll look into the Kindle sponsors, getting some of that Amazon money. All right. See Thank you next you. time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.